You're listening to Education Experts with EDX Education. Education is evolving. Join Heather Welch from EDX Education chatting with teachers, psychologists, parents, authors, creatives and other talented experts to keep up with the trends and what's happening from around the globe. This podcast series from EDX Education discusses home learning, school readiness, being creatives, changing in education, discussing what's next, hands-on learning, or as we like to say, learning through play. Welcome everyone, I'm Heather Welch from EDX Education. Today I'll be in conversation with Tess Burrows, adventurer, peace activist, author, speaker, healer, mother and grandmother, believe it or not. Tess is passionate about collecting messages from individuals and speaking about them from far high places to help peace and harmony already from the North and South Poles, Himalayas, Andes, Pacific and Africa. The most recent mission was cycling 600 miles to the UN COP26 summit in Glasgow for the climate crisis. Today we're chatting with Tess about her books, adventures, importance of the peace messages, memorable adventures and speaking in schools. Welcome Tess, we are very excited to have you today. Thank you for joining us. Hello, Heather. Lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me. You've got a really interesting background, so I'd love you to. Our listeners would love to hear about your adventures and just what inspired you to go on this journey? Oh, golly. Well, I was uh, originally a mum. That was always my most important thing in life. And then I had a moment when a thought came floating by that it was time to help the earth. And it was one of those thoughts that I just couldn't ignore. So I did. And everything has kind of flown um, flown onwards from, from that moment. I know, Tess, but people generally, when they think about from helping the earth, they maybe think about planting trees, not really climbing <laughs> to the ends of the earth and getting messages from all the world leaders around. So like, what was actually the first adventure that you decided to go on or the first hike or climb? It was the point furthest from the centre of the earth, which is in Ecuador in the Andes. Oh. And we collected peace messages messages from thousands of people a peace message being a, 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 a something from people's hearts so kind of the highest from people's hearts and I wanted to take them to the highest I could on the planet to speak them out and the peace messages relate to the, the Himalayan traditions like particularly the Tibetans who I do a lot of work with and they say that if you fly messages like these from the furthest highest places possible mm then it's a way of sending peace and harmony to all beings across the planet. Well, it's such a lovely thought process. It's such a lovely, you know, way to think about it, isn't it, as well? Yes. It's such a, like a cultural way to think about how peace, how to bring peace together. Indeed, it helps at all, all levels, at an individual level, because um, individuals make a, a promise or a pledge or a prayer that's um, going to make a difference in their lives. But also, collectively, I, I think we create something greater than the sum total of the parts. So did you have a partner in crime that went up there with you or did you go with a group? How did you get to the Andes? Oh, um, I had a penguin. I always have a, a principal. With, you know, <laughs> a real one? <laughs> a penguin. <laughs> no, not a real one. <laughs> <laughs> and he's actually written one of my books. But, um, yeah, and my partner, my then partner, who were, were not together anymore, and and on this particular time, a, a couple of other friends. So that we, were, we were a team of four humans and one penguin. And how far, how far is the Andes? Like it? How many days does it take to climb up? Is it a day's climb? Is it many days climb? How far would it take you to get up to the top? Oh, golly. Well, actually, we took 
a month to get climatized and to do training climbs. So oh, wow. as we're talking about 6,310 meters, I mean, ideally you need five months, but in, in, in two weeks you can get a body physiologically um, adapted enough to cope. But actually in the event, um, I hadn't done enough and I got altitude sickness, cerebral edema, and I knew I was gonna die. So it was kind of facing of self and so on. So it ended up a bit of a struggle. Um, but um, we did a few training climbs beforehand and got, got ourselves kind of focused and, 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 and fit. But you managed to climb it in the end, at the end of I'm it. I'm not allowed to say because you have to read the book. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'm not going to. Then I'm not, I'm not going to ask you again. <laughs> now, I know that you said you work, you, a lot of, um, you do a lot of work for charities and to best in charities. And I, I read somewhere that you've been helping a school. Can you talk about the charities that you've helped over the years, some of the ones that are really close to your heart? Yes, um, I've, I've raised oh maybe about one hundred and eighty thousand in the last twenty years. Um, mm, mostly Tibetan projects, many of them environmental and humanitarian, but particularly for six schools that uh, I've funded in, in Tibet. Um, not an easy thing to do because of the problems with China having taken over Tibet, um, and particularly as the, the Dalai Lama is, is my patron. But I've managed to get uh, schools going to really help um, many little ones like nomad children, farming children, who without Western help would have no chance of being able to learn to read and write. And, right, and, and maths and numbers. Yes, and, yeah, and living yeah. today's world as they, they find themselves in. So a, a, a lovely thing to do. It's actually not possible to um, fund schools in Tibet anymore, but um, the basis of my work has been um, schools actually in Tibet. Now I'm helping t t the Tibetan community out of Tibet. So were you able to actually go and see the schools flourish? Were you able to go so over the years, see the different... Yes, to some extent, and, and certainly seen the, the, the basis of um, the buildings going up and so on. It's been a bit trickier to go... Um, to see actual people there, one has to, oh, um, as I say, because of the link with the Dalai Lama, have to be very cautious and kind of um, sneak in on, on some occasions, which sounds a bit strange, doesn't it? <laughs> no, it doesn't. No, if you're uh, traveling, you understand. <laughs> no. Yes. no, a, a, a lovely thing to, to do and to connect up with the, with the Tibetan people who I think have got so much wisdom to share with the, with the world. And of course, it hasn't been very possible but perhaps the, the, the um, invasion by a, a bigger country has enabled um, a lot of Tibetans to come out into the Western world to, to share this wisdom and, and, and teachings, which is quite unique. So how come you chose Tibet out of all the countries? Was that the main charity? They're, they're the main, that's the main charity that you've been working yes, with? Yes, Climb for Tibet, we, we've always been. Um, I, I think I just had this kind of connection with Tibet. You know, there's so many causes around the world that need help. And Tibet always touched me at a, at a heart level. So maybe I've been a Tibetan in a previous life, <laughs> but I've always just had this, this very deep heart connection with, 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 with Tibet and its people. Had you visited there first? Is that where you got the connection, do you think? Do you believe? Um, no, no. I, I, I think the very first connection was, I, I think when I was a child, I saw a table with um, Tibetan um, goods on it and it just touched me a bit. And, and then I was able to go um, 2001 to um, have the first, first journey in Tibet 
Oh, that's amazing. And that was just having what, just going for a, re- a recreational look, going for holiday, or is that specific going for charity? Having a look at the schools and oh. also to speak out thousands of peace messages actually in, in Tibet. So we, we spoke with them on, on, on that journey at um, Mount Kailash, which is the most sacred mountain in Tibet, Mount Shishapangma, the highest mountain completely in Tibet, and Everest, of course, the highest mountain in the world above sea level. Do you have to get permission to climb those mountains or do you just have to have... You have to have permission, yes, indeed. But we weren't... Kailash, um, because it's so sacred, you're not allowed to actually climb to the summit. So that one you do what's called the Kora and you, you go around it and the Tibetan people have a tradition of doing it, doing prostrations where you have to lie down and then stand up and hold the right thoughts on your mind. And, and you do that for about 35 miles going, going around it, um, which I actually did on my most recent trip to, to Tibet. So it's kind of a different way of connecting up with the mountain and, and sending yeah. the, the energy of, of, of the peace messages. Oh, that's amazing. Now, I have to ask you, I know that you've been speaking at schools and you've been speaking at schools recently. What's the most important topics that you chat with the students about? Well, of late, it's been uh, the planet for um, climate action because um, at the end of last year, as you said at the beginning, I cycled 600 miles to COP26 in Glasgow with my 13-year-old granddaughter. And we stopped at schools all, all the way up and we got the youngsters to write a climate action pledge, i.e. something that each individual was going to do to help the, the problem of fossil fuels and pollution and plastic and, and, and all the things contributing to our, our, our climate problem so that as many youngsters as possible were, were part of our, our journey up to present them to the world leaders in Glasgow and, and making a difference. And the important thing to tell the youngsters always has been that they are important, that every single thing they do or say or think makes a difference on, on, on the earth. And it doesn't matter what age you are, um, everything you do makes a difference. And so actually making a promise that's going to go to somewhere important makes it really important. And I find youngsters do remember their pledges and, and they follow them through and they remind their parents that, um, look, this is what we've promised we've got to do. And we're all part of the earth and every single one of us is making a difference. So I think this is something that children seem to understand actually and sometimes more than adults, you know, that they make a, a, a peace message or a, a, a promise to help the climate. and. They're just very, very, very aware. And, and it's wonderful to see this in, in youngsters today, I find. And I always love talking at schools. So your 13-year-old granddaughter managed to cycle 600 miles up to... She did. She did. Yeah. She'd, she'd never cycled really before. She <laughs> worked all through the summer to get um, enough money to buy a bike. Oh. And, and she started off very shy and not very confident and... Um, you know, you ask her a question, she'd sort of look down and say, oh, I don't know, I don't know. And then we'd talk at schools on the way up and we gradually included her more and more and she'd answer the, the, the questions that the children asked her. And then when we got to COP26, she was able to speak with world leaders, present the 
the messages to them, the, the climate action pledges, and she coped with all the um, world's media that was really attacking her. They kept calling her the, 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 the Devon Greta. Um, and she coped with it so brilliantly. And it just showed me that if you give youngsters opportunity, what they can do. She was for young people and all the, the kids that we spoke to on, on the way up in the schools, they listened to her because she was in, in their age. And it, it was absolute a, a huge honor to be part of her transformation and, and if you like, uh, uh, helping her um, become a, a voice for youth. So I think it's so important that, that youngsters um, are, are given opportunities in, in, in whatever way. Well, they are a they are our future leaders. They are the ones that you know yeah. whatever they are the ones that are going to help um, with climate change realistically. So you know we said this practices are being set up now, but they need to be followed through. The education needs to come through, doesn't it? Absolutely, it's so. the future. It's their world. It matters to them far more than than the oldest. Yeah. That's why we're all trying to set there. It's trying to be set up now. Listen, the other one is I know that you've written books for adults and children. So how did you start? Did you start with the adults books first? Yes, the first one was the point furthest from the center of the earth, my Ecuador journey. And then the next book that I actually, the next adventure I actually wrote down was the South Pole Adventure. I was the first granny to race to the South Pole. <laughs> very important title. <laughs> Um, and then after that, I wrote the story of pulling a tire up Kilimanjaro in Africa, the highest mountain in Africa. I got a peace message from every nation on the planet, put it in the tower, and it was a symbolic act to get nations to pull together to, to pull the tire to the, the summit of Kilimanjaro at 6,000 meters. So that's the, the main three adult books I have. And then um, I had a, a penguin who came with me on many occasions and he decided he was going to write the next book uh, to show the, his, his learning adventures along the way. So he learns courage and determination and happiness and so on. So he, he wrote the next book about lots of shorter adventures, if you like, about hanging on rock faces with protest banners and, and climbing to the point nearest the sun at the turn of the millennia. And, ended up in Tibet, all, all sorts of adventures. So that one works for youngsters um, and, and, and lighter reading for adults. And then the last book that I've got out, Don't Blame the Yeti, uh, was based on my walking across the Himalayas about five years ago. And this one I've done specifically for youngsters and, and in fiction. And in fact, I'm having to write one more now because I've got five and a half grandchildren. I can't possibly have five books and only uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> do you know I do worry what if they do get up to 10 really quickly <laughs> you have to write all those books <laughs> there'll be lots of sequels and lots of adventures on the way yes yes no I could carry on writing forever it's just timey life it's so hard to find enough time to sit down and actually write books I, I, I love it it's wonderful just trying to ignore the world and, um, <laughs> and letting it flow <laughs> Have you enjoyed writing more the like the is um the children's books or the adults' books like more? Oh gosh, I, I guess at the moment I'm quite enjoying the children's books. Yeah, because um if, if you do it in fiction, you can uh, like the last one, you can really write whatever you feel like and, and have a lot of fun a, along the way. Um and, and my first three adult books was very much exactly sticking to, to facts but and, and my thoughts along the way so some suit some readers and some others but yes fun fun to uh, write the children's books 
Oh, it's such a lovely thing. And I must say, I am enjoying watching your Yeti on the watching your Yeti on the screen at the moment. So <laughs> it's putting a smile on my face. <laughs> uh, they get everywhere, these Yetis. <laughs> so what has been your most memorable adventure along the way? Oh, well, I guess the South Pole, because if you didn't get it right, you're dead pretty quickly. And it was the most dramatic, the most kind of intense and 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 the, the, the most enormous undertaking, if you like. Everybody said it's totally impossible. The, the person running it was told it was impossible. Everybody said, oh, you can't possibly take a couple of pensioners with you. That's <laughs> not gonna work. <laughs> and yes, I have a feeling if someone says no to you like that, I have a feeling that you'll find a way. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, and, and also I, I feel that if something feels right at a heart level, then yeah. you've got to go for it. If I'd sat down and thought, oh, now I wonder if I should pop down to the South Pole to speak out a few peace messages, then you're never going to do it because you're going to think of a million reasons not to do it. But if you just listen to your heart and it says, yes, this is what you've got to do, then um, it, it's all going to flow after that once you've made the commitment. What was the danger about the, what was the danger of the South Pole? Is it animals? Is it just the ice? Is it just unstable? Is it freezing? I mean, is it everything? What, what's the major stumbling block that they were worried about the crevasses was the thing that really terrified me most of all actually I, I was shaking for weeks before leaving just with the fear of it and I wasn't sure I could pull anybody out of the crevasse with the pulley system they, they taught us so I was very very scared of that but also it's just the, the enormity of the whole thing you, you, you're standing there perhaps and 360 degrees to the horizon in every direction is just snow and ice and after about three weeks, I realized that all my fear I'd had of crevasses had been replaced by such a wonderful thing. There were times when I felt completely and utterly at one with this beautiful wilderness. We had great halos around the sun and, and the snow would kind of dance like stardust at our feet you know, and sparkling. And those moments were so precious to me. It just made everything worthwhile. I just felt completely at, at one and, and part of it there. And, and, and even had thoughts that I never wanted to leave, which I would have never believed was, was possible. So yes, a, a magical, magical place. And so few people have the opportunity to actually experience it. And do you have to come across villages or anything like that? Or absolutely nothing? There's, there's nothing even makeshift, even people that are doing experiment, not experiment, but like, you know, they're doing research. There was nothing? Yes, we did meet one group of research people and they had just discovered that underneath the ice in the Arctic was hot lakes. And they were very excited about it. And they were moving along with a, a, a big sort of caravan. So it was a complete surprise to, to actually find them, but very exciting with, with, with their um, latest discovery. So uh, apart from the, the, the research people, there's the American base at the South Pole itself, uh, the geographic South Pole. And there's um, a few of the countries have got bases around the uh, edge of the Antarctic, but but apart from that, there's nothing. It's just um, not really very easy to do anything else to have any any anything else. And the, and the only animals you get are, are, are around the, the seaboard, you know, connected with the sea. The emperor penguins obviously waddle about sixty miles inland, but. But no, no flora, no fauna whatsoever. So um, and no yeti. We didn't see the. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I won't say that, but <laughs> <laughs> the, yeti, the Yeti was with you the whole time, <laughs> keeping you safe. 
<laughs> now, if someone was thinking about doing any of these adventures, like the Andes, South Pole, what would be your first piece of advice? You've got to really want to do it. I think it comes down to that because all these things were, were impossible for, for me, but I wanted to do it so much. And my incentive was to, to help world peace and leave a better um a better world for my grandchildren and, and that completely and utterly motivated me but I think if, you, if you're not sure if you want to do it or perhaps you're doing it for ego I, I think you've got a problem then because there's, there's always problems to overcome and um, it's just a matter of trusting and believing in yourself really and I think yeah. that was an important lesson that I, I learned about believing in myself. That's such a lovely way. That's such a really nice piece of advice as well for everyone. When I met you, we first met. You spoke about being active and how important it is to you. I was wondering, how do you see that with your grandchildren being active? I think my grandchildren, in particular, have grown up. For example, we've always written down a promise and carried it to the top of a little hill, and then spoken out the peace message. And I think my eldest daughter would always shout I'm going to save the jellyfish save the jellyfish <laughs> so this was always a lovely way for them to grow up and they've always loved like writing little messages and putting them on trees and that blow in the wind like perhaps on leaves or little slips of paper something like that so I think it's quite ingrained in them that they, what they do makes a difference and of course they've always Going up thinking, well, grannies walk to South Poles, that's what they do, sort of thing. So when I asked my 13-year-old granddaughter, would you like to come on a 600-mile bike ride? She just said yes before <laughs> she would even, you know, consider it. Um, and then thought, right, well, how, how we're going to do it. So um, that was rather nice to see. And, and she's just got, I suppose, an, an inbuilt feeling that, yes, she wants to, to do something to, to, to help the planet. But I, but I do think that young people today actually are much more on this sort of wavelength. And um, they know that, that they've got to really get down and do something. So I, I think activism in, in kids is, is, a, is a bit more natural. And, and it's easier for them to do it today, of course. You know, people will accept that these things can happen. And, and my 13-year-old was, the school gave her permission to come with us, which was lovely, and, and have weeks off school on, on condition that she did her homework every night. So we kind of, kind of do homework in, uh, in <laughs> haystacks and, and sleeping in hedges and things like this. But she'd, she'd sit down and do it, and she was, she was fine with that. <laughs> How long did it actually take to, to cycle 600 miles? We, we took three weeks because our bikes are, are mountain bikes and we had, of course, all our camping kit with us. And um, I, I don't like going on roads very much, so we're following trails. So um, some people, of course, bicycle really, really quickly, but it took us three weeks and, and stopping at schools along the way. Oh, such a, it's such a lovely adventure. And also to have with your granny. You know, to have an adventure with your granny is an amazing, it's an amazing fit. It's an amazing fit. And, and, and when we were talking to people saying, oh, please come on, make, make a pledge. How can you help the planet? Perhaps you could help less use of fossil fuels. Perhaps you could use your car less. And then I'd say, or Elsie would say, um, look, there's 60 years between us. She was 13 and I was 73. And therefore all ages can do something. You know, you, you don't have to be um, 21 or, or whatever it is. So... Um, I'm hoping we set a little example there. 
No, oh, it's really lovely. Have you got what's your next adventure? Have you have we looked at one? Have we thought of one that you can give a little hint about? Oh golly, I'm actually quite busy writing the next book at the moment, uh, which is about I, I, I ran up the tallest mountain in the world, which is in the middle of the Pacific Ocean in, in Hawaii. So and, and I'm including dolphins and all this sort of thing. So I'm quite heavily involved in that and trying not to think too much but uh, it might, <laughs> might be something down in New Guinea I, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> you have to see well let's just hope travel restrictions don't come out again or anything like that for us that okay. would be such a shame do you ever do adventures where people can join you or they send their messages how can people get in touch with you Certainly people always send us messages so um, it can all happen through my website testburrows.org and um, you can put a message on at, at any time or send one um, via, via email or post or, or, or anything. And I just collect them regularly. And then the next occasion, um, we, we, we take the messages with us. But example, for example, at the moment, the messages are still being sent to the United Nations Secretary General. So, and, and, and they'll be, be spoken out at various times. So new messages are, are, are always very valued and, and, and precious. But actually joining physically kind of varies a bit. People often do their own adventures when we're climbing up something and they'll climb up something separate and we'll coordinate the timing so that um, everybody can be part of it in that way and, and speak out their own messages from their own hilltop. Um, so who knows how, how it'll happen in the future. It, it's something I love as many people as possible to be part of because this is what it's about. It's about people power, changing the world. Sounds like you need to get all five of those grand, five and a half grandchildren and children up one of the mountains, I think. Yes. <laughs> With a newborn carrier. The tyre could turn into like a little carriage for the newborn to come I up. Like Yes, no, good idea. Yes. <laughs> yes, thank you so much for joining. If anyone's interested in the book, I know that you can now purchase a book from Tessa's website as well, which is tessburrows.org. I'll put a link in the bottom as well so that they can get in touch with you if they want to put a peace message in and, you know, keep up the amazing work. It's so lovely to hear. It's so refreshing to hear about the peace and harmony, the messages, and also just the multi-generational adventures that you're going on I think it's such a wonderful experience to have together thank you Heather very much yes no it's um it's it's a way forward we're, we're producing a, a bright wonderful future aren't we for our planet and we've all got to be part of it we're, we're trying to reverse the damage <laughs> that's realistically what we're doing yes yes wonderful There are so many exciting developments happening right now in education. EDX Education would love to hear from you, so do get in touch or subscribe to our podcast, which is available on Apple, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn, and so many more. This podcast series is brought to you by Heather Welch from EDX Education, as she'd like to say, let's create lifelong learners. 